From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we welcome you to Open Line Tuesday here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Uh, Jack Williams away today. I'm Tom Price. Delighted to be with our dear friend, Father Wade Menezes. How are you, Padre? I'm doing great, Tom, and it's great to have you doing some pitch hitting here uh, for Jack. We appreciate that very much. And you're kind of like our Lenten prelude then today. Huh? I feel penitential already. <laughs> wow. And you are not in your usual home uh, digs. You are out in uh, Colorado, right? That is correct. I'm in Westminster, Colorado at the beautiful Holy Trinity Parish here, which has also Blessed Miguel Pro-Catholic School, great Ah, parish patron for their school. So a shout-out to Father Carlos, the pastor, and Father Herman, his associate pastor, and a shout-out as well to the principal and there at Blessed Miguel Pro-School, and to two ladies who have been absolutely fantastic in bringing this parish mission week to its fruition, Terry in the front parish office, Tom, and also Patricia, who has been our daily sacristan, not only for the Saturday Mass, my first Mass here for first Saturday for February, but also throughout all the weekend Masses with her fellow sacristans, and uh, she's Mm. also been helping us each night with the parish mission. The first three nights, which are Eucharistic Holy Hour with the Mission Conference, tomorrow night on Wednesday we close with the solemn closing Mass of the parish mission, and the homily at that closing Mass will serve as the final conference. So I'm here giving my Eucharistic series titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament, as we we are currently in the midst of the three-year Eucharistic revival called for by the USCCB. So uh, we've had a great turnout here, almost 250 a night, Wow, uh, holding steady, and so we're very excited about that. Fantastic. Let's uh, give out the phone numbers here as we're getting tuned up for today's open line, and that is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986 if you have a question for Father Wade. If you're listening to us outside of North America, please dial 1 and then 205-271-2985 or shoot us an email. The address for that, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure you put Tuesday or Father Wade in the subject line. So today's springboard topic, Father, this is uh, picking up on what we did last week, but this week it's going to be overcoming the evil within, the reality of sin and the transforming power of God's grace and mercy. Yeah, that's right, the power of conversion, right? And this uh, springboards uh, off of last week's springboard, if you will, Mm. which was the three acts of the penitent for confession, right? Contrition, confession, and satisfaction. The three acts of the penitent per se for a, a valid, integral, holy, reverent, Uh, sacrament of reconciliation, of holy confession. And it's preceded, of course, by a fourth element that we call the examination of conscience. So that was last week's springboard. So yeah, this, this week I want to talk about the reality of sin and conversion, and how God's mercy is tied into that. So, you know, St. Alphonsus the Gori, one of the great doctors of the church, Tom, he's the one that's the master of the spiritual communion when one cannot make an actual, literal, Eucharistic, holy communion at the Mass. Uh, one can make a spiritual communion, right? whether it's because of illness or because of a pandemic or because one's in a state of mortal sin and they know that they're still bound to go to Mass, but they can't receive holy communion because mm-hmm. of the mortal sin. They mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to reconcile yet in confession, so they can still make a, a spiritual 
spiritual communion, right? Mm. So Alfonso Liguori is the master of that. He says, we have only one evil to fear, and that is sin itself. Amen to that. Yes. Sin is real, my friends. Do you want proof? Look no further than some of the very first words spoken by both Jesus Christ and St. John the Baptist in the Gospels. Quote, end quote, repent, said by both men. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4. Then in Luke 3, we are told that John the Baptist went about preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. How about that? And after Christ rose from the dead, he appeared to the apostles and said, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in my name to all nations. So even after his resurrection from the dead, when he appears to the chief 12, he brings up repentance again immediately. So sin and repentance, in other words, Tom, my point here, are essential to the gospel, right? As soon as Jesus sent out his apostles and pairs to spread the good news of salvation, they went out and preached what men should do, and that is exactly repent, Mark chapter 6. And on the day of Pentecost, as the church was born, Peter preached repentance to the crowds, saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's from Acts chapter 2. Even the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, go figure, right? Reports the Lord God as saying, be zealous and repent. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. So the point is clear here. Sin is real. And the need for repentance is real. But this message isn't about anger or deprivation. No, not at all. It's tied to the great message of salvation offered through Jesus Christ and the mercy of God. Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, who, on a, who took on a human nature just like ours in every way but sin, to quote Hebrews 4.15. But unfortunately today, Tom, we do not hear as much emphasis placed on sin and repentance. There are very few things that must please the devil more than secular humanism and relativism blinding our culture to the reality of sin and the necessity of turning back to God, right? After all, if entire societies forget about sin and its nature and its ability to wreak havoc upon marriages, families, and individuals, upon churches and their ministries, and even upon governments, the devil clearly seems to have the upper hand. Mm. St. Augustine describes this, describes this phenomenon, uh, which developed uh, even in the early centuries following Christ's public ministry when he says this. He says, sins, however great and detestable they may be, are looked upon as trivial or not as sins at all when men get accustomed to them. And so far does this go that such sins are not only not concealed, but are boasted of and published far and wide. Now, this is Augustine writing in the, in the beginning of the 5th century. Keep that in mind, yeah, right? Yeah. He says, in our own times even, many forms of sin are now so openly and habitually practiced that we dare not excommunicate a layman, we dare not even defrock a clergyman for the commission of them. That's St. Augustine in the 5th century telling us how bad things are in Whoa. regards to this topic. Mm -hmm. St. Augustine lived the majority of his life in the 4th century, early 5th century. By his own admission, he suffered from a lust addiction for many years, but he overcame it. He had fathered a child out of wedlock at around age 17. He lived with a woman for many years whom he never married and likely had other mistresses during those same amount of years while he was living with the other one. Human nature, it is clear, has not changed through the ages, but that doesn't mean we just swallow in sin. No. The beautiful truth is that our nature can be healed. It can be elevated to new heights through repentance and God's grace and mercy. So are you a listener of Open Line Tuesday Live this hour right now? 
who's come back to the sacrament of confession after any number of year lapse. And that confession after that any number of year lapse has made you more dedicated to your one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. I want you to call in today, try to stick to the topic of how confession is so beautiful, how confession can turn a life around, how confession leads us to the mercy of God, who wants us to become great, great, saint, great, great saints, right? Augustine eventually got it. He got the message. He converted. He owned up to his fatherly duties to his son, and he began to pursue a life filled with God's sanctifying grace. He was made bishop of Hippo in northern Africa, is considered one of the greatest church fathers of the early centuries, and is one of the doctors of the church, especially the doctor of grace, and also known as one of the doctors of moral theology. So redemption is possible, right? We must heed St. Augustine's example. After all, if we are followers of Jesus, we do not witness and speak about the reality and nature of sin and the need for repentance, then we're not followers of Jesus. Uh, surely the secular culture won't do these things, so we got to do these things. Mm, we are yeah. all sinners. Our baptism and our confirmation calls us to be the evangelizers, each one of us in our own sphere of influence. We all need to hear the message of sin and repentance and of grace and mercy. They go hand in hand. We all need to hear the message of sin and repentance, of grace and mercy, which is essential all four topics to the message of salvation. Give us a call. Give a witness about returning to the church through the only two sacraments that can be received over and over and over again, Eucharist and confession, especially confession. Not asking you to give your confession over the airwaves today. No, <laughs> not, not at all. In fact, uh, we definitely don't want you to do that. Please. We just want you to witness on how confession brought you back to practicing your one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. And what a beautiful, beautiful uh, time that was for you in returning. And this, just a week out from Ash Wednesday, which follows on Valentine's Day this day, Tom, this yeah. year, Tom. So uh, I recommend the guys take uh, the ladies out uh, on the 13th, the day before, yes. and have a nice meal and uh, do that on the 13th, and then get your ashes in church. And uh, on the following day, on Ash Wednesday. So give us a call. Give us a witness about confession, uh, the reality of sin and repentance, and of God's grace and mercy. All right. And we've got three lines open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Wade, 833-288-3986. In a moment, we'll be talking with Andrea in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Also, Caesar in Sioux City. Robert, a first-time caller in Concord, North Carolina. Again, lines open at 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes on EWTN. Do stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's one 833 288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. And the uh, phones are sold out at the moment, but when a line does become available, you're invited to call 833-288-EWTN. Love to talk with you here on Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. Something for you to check out online, and that is the EWTN Pro-Life Pulse. It's your mm. weekly recap of the top pro-life headlines moving our nation and world that perhaps the mainstream media missed. 
What a shock. Can you imagine the mainstream media missing a pro-life story? I just, I, I'm totally shocked here. Anyway, visit EWTNnews.com slash pro-life. Sign up today. Stay connected to EWTN's Pro-Life Pulse. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. Begin with Andrea in Ann Arbor, Michigan, listening today on Sirius XM, channel 130. Hello, Andrea. What's on your mind today? Hi there. Um, well, it feels like this was probably just a, a moment of God's grace because I just happened to tune in when I was going to start my exercises and have been trying to figure out the right approach to learn more about our Mother Mary. Um, let me just start with saying that I know in my life when I have been fully obedient to the Lord and the Church's teachings that my life tends to be so much smoother, and that's not a joke, but I tend to be a quite independent, willful person. I'm the oldest in my family. I'm used to doing everything independently on my own. And so my biggest cross to bear in this life has been in submitting to His will. Um, But gradually, I'm getting there. And a month ago, I actually did go to reconciliation for the first time in a long time. And my question surrounds Mary, in the sense that I want to fully embrace the faith, but I'm having almost a spiritual block in my just letting go and saying the rosary, um, and I have a hard time with the concept of her being the redemptrix. So um, I know that a lot of Protestants will say that we worship her. I know we venerate her, and those words are very important in the meaning. So that's, that's about it. Okay. Okay, great question. We appreciate it very much. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to direct you to what the Church teaches, although you already know that we venerate the Blessed Mother of God and do not worship her. I'm glad you said that. It's good for you to be articulate on the different levels of what we Catholics do in regards to the three divine persons in prayer, the Blessed Mother in prayer while we're in prayer, and the saints and angels while we are in prayer. So these are, these are Greek Latinized terms that I'm about to give you, which are great because they're spelled just how they sound. So latria, L-A-T-R-I-A, latria is adoration, not veneration, adoration of God alone, the three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you do a nine-day novena leading up to Pentecost Sunday in honor of the Holy Spirit, you're giving latria, right? You receive the Holy Eucharist, you're giving latria to the second person of the Trinity, right? You pray the Our Father, you're giving latria to... Uh, the Father in heaven, the Heavenly Father. So Latria, again, is adoration, properly speaking, L-A-T-R-I-A. Dulia, D-U-L-I-A, like like the feminine name Julia, but with a D. Uh, Dulia is veneration, not worship. And we give Dulia to the angels and saints, okay? Now, in between Latria and Dulia, there is a hyper-Dulia category. Hyper in the Greek means the greatest of. So it's H-Y-P-E-R hyphen Dulia, hyper-Dulia, which translated in English literally means the greatest of veneration, right? And that's what the Blessed Mother receives. She receives veneration like the angels and saints, but it's its own category in that it is hyper-Dulia, the greatest of veneration, Okay, so it's definitely not Latria, okay? I would also, if you brought this to me in confession or hypothetically speaking, or if you brought it to me in spiritual direction, I would want to ask you what your own relationship was like with your mother. Why, why do you seem, and I ask this rhetorically, you're, you don't have to give any of these answers, why does there seem to be some type of a, 
of a mental block, as you described it, with the rosary, uh, praying to the mother of God, who leads us to her son, as she said to the uh, wine stewards at Cana, to all of them, we're told very specifically in Scripture, do whatever he tells you. It's very interesting that right after she says to Jesus, her son, they have no more wine, he turns to her and says, woman, why is this such a concern of yours that it should also be such a concern of mine? And what does she do after that? She turns to all the stewards, all the wedding stewards who are serving the wedding. We're told she turned to all of them. Why? Because she's the mother of us all. She turns to all of them. In other words, she doesn't turn just to the chief steward who was the only one to comment to the groom, hey, mm. uh, you, you save the best wine till last. Usually <laughs> we, say we serve the best wine first when people are not drinking freely so that once they have drunk freely, we give them the inferior wine. But you've saved the best wine till last. So, so we know that the head waiter is there. We know that he spoke up to the groom because Jesus didn't make water into wine. Jesus made water into the best of wine, okay? So we know that the miracle took place. We know that it was the best of wine. But we also know that when, G- when Mary tells Jesus they have no more wine to protect the young bride and groom from embarrassment because she's such a mom, that's her main concern. She doesn't want her third glass of Merlot, that's not why she turns to her son and says, they have no more wine. It's not because she wants another glass. It's because she wants to protect the young bride and groom from embarrassment of having ran out of wine. How beautiful is that? We know this from the writings of the church fathers. So many of them in the first eight centuries, Augustine, Ambrose, Irenaeus, John Chrysostom, they all comment on this. She wanted to protect the young bride and groom from embarrassment because she's such a mom, capital M, right? (laughs) Well, when Jesus turns to her after she says that to him, they have no more wine, Woman, why is this such a concern of yours that it should be such a concern of mine? She does what any good mother does. She doesn't respond to him. She just ignores her son. (laughs) And instead, she turns to all the wine stewards and says, do whatever he tells you. That's her goal. She wants to lead us to her son. That's the hyperdulia that we give her. That's why we give her that hyperdulia, because we know that she is a sure traveled road to her son. Just as you would ask your own mother to pray for you before you go into surgery, you ask your heavenly mother to pray for you before you go into surgery. You're having trouble with your marriage, and one day over midday tea, you open up your heart to your own biological mother at the kitchen table. You open up your heart to your heavenly mother, just as you would your earthly mother. And you can ask prayers for both. Oh, right. that, I, that's what I recommend, is how you've got to view this in, in the vein of the church's teaching in regards to Latria, Hyperdulia, and Dulia. Dulia is, is just veneration alone, mm-hmm. and we give the angels and saints that. Great question, uh, Andrea, and thank you so, so much. You, you ask a great, great witness question in regards to proper, balanced Marian devotion. Thank you so much. Hope that's helpful for you, Andrea. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN if you have a question for Father Wade Menezes. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday here on EWTN. Let's and those to... lines are packed, which is great to see. We love it. Uh, here is Caesar now in Sioux City, Iowa, listening on the great Siouxland Catholic Radio. Hello, Caesar. What's on your mind today, sir? Hey, how you guys doing? Great. Um, doing great, Caesar. That's good. Um, so I, was, I went to confession uh, maybe like a week after uh, uh, New Year's. My new resolution is to closer to God, and uh, so far it's been amazing. Um, blessed every single day. Beautiful. But uh, I also went to confession again, uh, maybe like two weeks ago, because 
I, I went back into sins for, for like one day, and then I felt horrible. So the next day I went to confession again because I felt horrible. But then, uh, but then uh, so my question was, so, so again, I was tempted, and, and I, was in the, I was like in the process of, of, uh, of, of sin, but I didn't like com- completely finish the, uh, um, the action. Personally, like I was the, yeah. the action, exactly. Okay. And, and then after that, uh, I felt like I needed to go to confession, you know, because I, I just let the thought, you know, just, just I was in the process, you know, even though I didn't complete the action, like you said. Thank you for helping me out. I, I feel horrible, and ever since then, you know, I'm I starting to notice that um, I feel like um, I, I feel like I it was a sin itself, and then, and then it, even between that time where I went to confession and I, I thought of that process, uh, I felt I, I took the the Eucharist. Uh, I think it was twice, and, I, and it didn't feel uh, like the first couple times when I was holy, uh, when yeah. I didn't. Uh, so you're asking whether or not you should have abstained from Holy Communion, given the fact that you started the action but didn't complete it. Should you have gone to communion? I would say yes, because the fact that you did not complete the action shows me that fullness of will was not present. What do you need for a mortal sin to be present? Three things. Grave matter done with fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, and done with deliberate consent of your will. While your will might have been consenting in the process of beginning the action, at some point the will said, no, mm-hmm. stop, and you stopped. That tells me right there as a moralist, not even as a priest, but just as a moralist, your will had you stopped, so, and, you, and indeed, indeed, capital I, indeed, you didn't finish the action. The sinful action when it was all said and done, was not carried out. It was not carried out. So there was no sin to keep you from communion, number one. Number two, the fullness of will was not engaged because the action wasn't completed. Also, I would take into account as a confessor to you or a spiritual director to you, if I was in either case for for your benefit, I would tell you, you know, you're also at the beginning of your conversion process. You don't want to become scrupulous at the beginning of your conversion process. You want to have a balanced moral life, right? And we know the church is teaching grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of the will. If any one of those three is missing, you have a venial sin. Venial sin does not prevent us from receiving Holy Communion. Only mortal sin does. So yes, I would tell you, Caesar, that you did fine in going to communion. But of course, you make an act of contrition, hopefully right after you stopped the action, you made Uh a good act of contrition. And number two, you partook of the penitential act, the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass. So that was another time you made an act of contrition during the penitential rite at that Mass that you ended up receiving communion at. And then you can even make another act of contrition uh, if you want, you don't have to, during the moment of silence during the lamb, right after the Lamb of God, when the priest is getting ready to receive his communion. You can make another act of contrition then. So there's, there's plenty of opportunity there to rekindle in, in your mind and heart that you're sorry for almost going through that action, but at the same time thanking God that you didn't go through with that action. What a great witness call that springboards beautifully uh, off my springboard topic today, the reality of sin and conversion. The reality of sin and conversion is the title of today's springboard topic, building off of last week's springboard topic, the three acts of the penitent. And, and Caesar, if you haven't heard last week's podcast, go back and find it at, at the EWTN.com and navigate yourself to the radio section of the EWTN website and then pull up all my weekly podcasts uh, and broadcasts. 
and listen to last week's. I think it was January 30th, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, uh, and it goes hand in hand with today's. With today's. Now, I want to ask you to give a short sentence or two, just a short sentence or two. We got a lot of callers here. You said that when you finally returned back to confession after the first of the year, you could sense that it really, really moved you and helped you. And I think you said you went twice. When we get back, I'd like you just to give a sentence or two and elaborate on that to help other people. Uh, Sit tight, Caesar. We'll come back to you on the other side of the break. We'll also talk with Maria in Washington, Michelle in Fayetteville, Tracy in St. Paul, Corning, uh, Chris in Corning, New York. Wow, uh, sold-out phones here on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Glad you're with us for Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. And uh, we've got sold-out phones, which is a a wonderful position to be in here. Uh, Before the break, we were talking with Caesar in Sioux City, Iowa. And Father, you want to pick up on, on what you were saying before. Yeah, Caesar. at the beginning of your conversation with us, uh, you said that you came back to confession after a certain amount of time having been lapsed from that sacrament, and thus the Eucharist as well, uh, that you came back after New Year's and went a couple of times uh, soon after New Year's, and you could just sense that it really, really helped you with a new focus on life. Can you just elaborate on that? And before you do, I want to tell you this. Not only was your action, the fact that you stopped it, not sinful, it was actually virtuous that you stopped. Yeah. That's another reason why you could have gone to communion. Your will was not engaged. Your, your will stopped. With an act of the will, the will stopped. The action, and that's virtuous. So, so give us a little, a little bit of a witness, just in a sentence or two. Nothing long. We got a bunch of callers here, praise God. Just a sentence or two of how, how you sense that new focus in your life through confession. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, our glory to God, you know, uh, I can't thank him enough ever since New Year's, but... Uh, my life was, was I, I felt, was going down, you know. And uh, I'm just so grateful for, for reconciliation, for the confession, because just that that, uh, that uh, sacrament itself helped me in my, in my mind and my soul. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, go back and listen to last week's podcast if you haven't already on the three acts of the penitent. And remember that out of all seven sacraments, only two can be received over and over and over again with much frequency, Eucharist and confession. Why? Because these are the two sacraments that sustain us with a capital S. They sustain us in our daily walk in life till the day we die. Whether one be single, married, a consecrated religious, priest, brother, sister, it doesn't matter. Uh, Widow or widower, it doesn't matter. Grandparent, whatever. Uh, these two sacraments sustain us. And so hang in there, Caesar. God bless you. Thank, thank you for a great witness call today. Appreciate it, Caesar. Let's go now to uh, Maria, a first-time caller in Washington, listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio. Hello, Maria. What's on your mind today? Hi, I'm calling to share my um, reconciliation story. Like, yes. Um, Beautiful. Yes. So I, I was in college, and I met... Um, I was kind of living... Um, outside of my, what I knew, um, I was raised Catholic, but and I've heard about confession and all the different sacraments, but I didn't really understand what they meant. Mm. And I would just hang out. I wasn't living, um, I was living in sin, but I liked hanging out with some Newman people, Newman Center people. Mm-hmm. I felt like happy there. So, but when I would attend Mass, I felt like kind of like I was out of the game, like even though I wanted to partake in what, in the Mass, and I felt like I was already out of salvation because I had done, I had already sinned, and so I thought that 
okay, well, it's over for me. It's kind of like a one time you sin and you're out. But I was still attracted to going to mass. And sure. so, like, it was the ju- jubilee year of 2016 where um, Pope Francis was saying, like, no, like, um, everyone's forgiven. And um, and then yeah, I realized, that was the, like, okay, well... Maria, that was the jubilee year of mercy. That was actually called yes, the jubilee year of mercy. Right. Okay. So then I under- I heard that message, and then I'm like, oh, I can just confess, and I'm back in the game. And... That was like the happiest day of my life because it, it, well, I don't know if it was the happiest day of my life, but it just really changed my course because if I had, in my mind, I was, okay, I I thought, okay, I already sinned, so I'm out of the game, so might as well continue living this sinful life. Right. And then versus now I actually can change and it just changed my life trajectory. Mm. Um, And now I just see it as always like, I want to go to confession because one step closer to be more saintly, and so I love confession. Just yeah, beautiful. I, I'm a huge advocate of, absolute huge advocate of monthly confession, say in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart, or in honor of the first Saturday devotion to the Immaculate Heart, the nine first Fridays and the five first Saturdays respectively. Great time to remember, oh, confession time, a first Friday, first Saturday week, uh, it's a great time to remember to go to that monthly confession. What's the whole goal of a monthly confession? That is to say 12 times a year. I'll tell you right now, number one, chances are only venial sins will be confessed, because you're your practice of monthly confession is what per se is keeping you away from mortal sin. It's the practice of monthly confession per se that's keeping you away from mortal sin. How awesome is that? So number one, chances are your monthly confessions will only be venial sins. Number two, your confessions will only be about two and a half minutes long, and that includes the priest's confessor's words of absolution. Your confessions will be quick. And thirdly, I'll add a third point here, you're constantly moving forward in your life. You're so at peace that any past mortal sins have been confessed. Because mortal sins absolutely need the confessional. Remember that. Venial sins don't. There's other ways that venial sins are, are forgiven. Like the penitential rite at Mass, for example, right? But, but, but you'll be so at peace that any, any known mortal sins of your past have been forgiven because now confession is regular in your life. You never look back. You're not that dog that keeps returning to its vomit, like St. Peter says in his second letter in chapter 2, verse 22. You're not like that mother sow who returns to wallow in her mire after her washing of herself. You're not doing that. You're not, in other words, you're not constantly looking back and returning to your past sinful life. You're only moving forward. That's the third point that's so great about a monthly confession. And for priests, whether religious order priests or diocesan priests, and for consecrated religious men and women, Brothers and sisters in religious life, whether active or contemplative, I recommend confession every two to three weeks. Why? Not because we're necessarily more sinful or there's more sin in our lives. Not necessarily, no. Because we're on the front lines of battle with the truth and with the faith and giving the truth and giving the faith. We need confession more often because remember, even if it's a confession that only has venial sins confess, it's still a devotion. It's called a devotional confession, the adjective devotional added to it only because there's no mortal sins to confess. You're confessing only venial sins. In other words, you're there when you don't have to be because there's no mortal sins. But you still go to confession when there's just venial sins, so it's called a devotional confession. But here's the thing. It's still a bona fide confession, and you get graces from it because it is a bona fide confession. So you go for the extra graces, and that's why I recommend that priests, sisters, and brothers in consecrated religious life or diocesan priests, that we go more often every two to three weeks. Hopefully just for venial sins as well. Maria, thank you so much for such a great call. 
I was in your beautiful state of Washington just two weeks ago in Spokane. I, I was saying Spokane, and they all corrected me. It's Spokane. So uh, <laughs> it was just great being there that weekend at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. God bless you, Maria. Take care. Thanks for your call. Here now is uh, Michelle, a first-time caller from Fayetteville, North Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hello, Michelle. What's on your mind today? Hi. I was just calling in to um, give a testimony about coming back to the church after over 40 years. Wow, so beautiful. about three years ago, I started going to school, and I started praying um, Hail Mary on my way to school, and it led me to actually play, praying the rosary on my way going to school and coming home from school. And that eventually led me back to the church, back to confession, and then receiving the Eucharist. It also led to... Um, my husband and I, our marriage being convalidated in the church, and he is in the process of becoming Catholic from Greek Orthodox. So Mm. it's just that confession. I remember how I felt after that very first confession. It was so freeing and so such a relief. The biggest weight lifted off, and I did feel totally welcomed back into the church. It was so beautiful. Well, fantastic, Michelle. What a beautiful, beautiful witness call after 40 years. That, that, that is just a beautiful story. And look how one Hail Mary to school led to the rosary to and from school, which led to confession, which led to the Eucharist, which led to your marriage getting convalidated in the church. <laughs> you know, it's like a chain link of our Blessed Mother. You know, one of my favorite um, devotions to Mary is our Blessed Mother, undoer of knots. Yes. And uh, each of those things you were doing, like ridding yourself of your past sin by coming to confession, she's undoing that knot. Now, getting your secular marriage, your civil marriage, in, sacramentalized inside the church, she's undoing that knot. Each knot is undone. If you're, if you're not familiar with that devotion, Michelle, look it up. Our Lady Undoer of Knots. Sometimes it's referred to as Our Lady Untire of Knots. But it's just a beautiful, beautiful devotion, and I love the image of it, too. It's, it's our Blessed Mother there with a huge tangled-up rope, and she's there with her hands working on it. It's just a great devotion. So what a beautiful testimony, Michelle. And I'll say this. You remind me of what John Paul II says in his beautiful encyclical from the mid-1990s, Divas and Misericordia, rich in mercy. He says this, he says, because you mentioned a 40-year lapse, that's why I say this. John Paul in Divas and Misericordia, his encyclical, Rich in Mercy, on the mercy of God, he says, mercy is who God is. It's love's second name. God is more interested in our future than in our past. He's more interested in the kind of person we can yet become than in the kind of person we used to be, right? While indeed taking our sins seriously, no doubt, he never, ever, ever takes those sins as the last word. Why? Because he knows he's made us in his image and likeness. He knows he calls us constantly to a life of his sanctifying grace. And he knows he is our God, who's bigger than any sin we might ever commit, even the most hideous or wicked mortal sin. And that's true. That's what the, God, the mercy of God is. Thank you, Michelle, for such a beautiful, beautiful uh, witness call today. Have your husband listen to the podcast. If he's not listening live right now, tell him he was mentioned in, in this little story from you. And I congratulate him on looking at the RCAA program. God bless you now. Take care.
And Michelle, we appreciate your call. It is uh, Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade here on EWTN. Quick reminder that the Chaplet of Divine Mercy is aired every weekday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. You can join Catholics around the world as we recall in prayer the devotion of St. Faustina to our Lord. Please uh, join us each and every weekday, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio for the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Here now is Tracy, a first-time caller from St. Paul, Minnesota, listening on the EWTN app. Hey there, Tracy, what's on your mind today? I wanted to kind of echo and ride along what Michelle said, and I loved her story, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do and link in my life. So this was probably about 2017. I wasn't really with the parish, and I was needing to go to confession. I was driving along a side street in a neighborhood, and I drove by St. Mark's. And I saw confession was at 4.30, and I looked at my clock, it was 4.30. I said, oh, perfect, I'm just going to pull in here and go. I had never been to that church before. So I went wow. in, I went and to it, confession. It was, it was the same exact go time. Ahead. It was the same exact time. It was the time. same exact time, yeah. Wow. So I go in, I get in line, and of course you're always nervous and like, oh. And I get into confession, and I have Father Umberto. And he was so kind and so gentle and so loving. And this ties into St. Augustine, who's actually one of my favorite saints, and I love the story of him. And at the very end, he said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Mm. And I just cried at that moment. I knew. I said, I'm going to join this parish. And I joined it, and I've been there ever since. And my faith life is growing, and I love our faith. I love God, and I love my priest and my parish. Well, praise God. What a great witness call. Great witness calls today, Tom. Fantastic. Uh, Tracy, thank you so much for your call from, from St. Paul, Minnesota. And, and I, I, I marvel at God's goodness and his perfection. It was 4.30. You're driving around uh, at 4.30 looking for, for confession, for looking for a church to go to confession to, looks, looking up some, I presume, on your phone or driving by and seeing the sign on the the marquee sign on the front lawn of the church, and it said Confessions 4.30, and it was right there, 4.30. So what's it, what a beautiful thing. God's perfection and God's omnipotence and His power. Thank you so much, Tracy and Michelle, before Tracy, for both of you giving us such a beautiful uh, witness call. Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes here on EWTN. Let's go to Oklahoma City now and talk with Lynn, listening on the great Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Lynn, what's on your mind today? Hi, Father. Um uh, Father Wade, sorry, I heard a little, you touch on this a little bit earlier regarding venial sin, and they said to go ahead and ask my questions. So sure. um, about three years ago, I went to confession at a parish. I'm not long, no longer at, but it's still kind of um, it's in the back of my mind and troubling, because when I went to confession, uh, the priest was kind of, uh, um, the word, um, the uh, screener called uh, used was really good as uh, dismissive of venial sins. He said, "Okay, don't worry about those. You know, let, you know, move on." And it was kind of uh, it kind of scared me because I was thinking I was wasting his time, and I thought maybe I don't need to say these uh, some, some smaller venial sins. But my more concern was for my young children. I have four. One of them had just gotten first communion, and um, he actually kind of said the similar thing to my oldest, who was. 15 at the time, like, oh, Father said, you know, not to worry about that. And I said, well, this is kind of not good, because children don't really have, hopefully, mortal sins at their age, yeah. that it was kind of off, um, kind of, I guess, discouraging. And yeah, it kind of 
troubles with me still to this day. So when I go to confession now at a different parish, I'm kind of like worried, like, is he going to say like, okay, forget about this, move on. And again, more for the children, like, how do I tell them like, we, we should go. Sure. Um, yeah, he, you know, I have an eight year old and. Right. Okay. And chances are the children, chances are the children will only have venial sins. So you surely don't want the priest right. telling the children, especially the younger ones, oh, oh that's not sin. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Uh, don't worry about it. It's not a mortal sin. It's only a venial sin. No priest should do that. If, so let me talk about, say, say 13 years of age and older, if they go regularly to confession, all the way into adulthood and elderly state, 13 and older. If you go faithfully and you know a lot of your confessions predominantly are devotional confessions, which again are confessions where only venial sins confess. Here's how you begin it. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession was a month ago, Father, which is regular for me. And praise God, I'm not aware of any mortal sins. But there are some venial faults, venial sins I wish to confess, and here they are. Boom, 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 in a little bulleted fashion of the five top things that bother you venially. And that's it. You're showing the priest up front that you don't have venial sins, that you're a regular monthly penitent, so you're here for the devotional graces because all you have is venial sins, and here they are. And remember, whether it's venial or mortal sins, you don't go into a lot of detailed descriptions and describings and long sentences about the sin, especially if they're venial sin. But the same for mortal sin. All that's requested by the church for mortal sin is kind and approximate number. What does kind mean? Name it simply, simply name it. Adultery, two times. Internet pornography, three times. That's all you need to say. Now, if there's a militating circumstance that makes the already objective mortal sin objectively more grave, then state that thing simply as well. Father, I need to confess one time a physical fight that was pretty severe. And Father, the person was my own blood brother. See, a fight that's pretty serious and physical and severe, it needs to be confessed, no doubt. Yeah. But it's objectively more grave if, if it's with your own natural blood brother, say, as opposed to a stranger on a street, okay? Presuming it wasn't self-defense, of course. Um, so, so just kind and approximate number is all that's needed for mortal sin. Okay. And thirdly, if it's present, that, that third element. For venial sin, you don't even need to give the approximate number. All you need to give is kind driving a little bit over the speed limit, three, three to four miles over the speed limit, a shortness of temperament with my spouse, nothing serious, but shortness of temperament with spouse. I didn't practice the theology of presence with, with people at work. I, I should have made myself more present instead of appearing curt and short of temperament. Things like that. That's how you confess a, a monthly confession with just venial sins. And it doesn't have to be a long list if it's only venial sins, because remember, venial sins don't need the confession, a good act of contrition, the penitential, penitential rite at, at Mass, doing the three-minute good works, prayer, fasting, almsgiving for the intention of forgiving you of your venial sins. That wipes away venial sin, not because of the works themselves, no, but because of the charity the works help foster, okay? That's important okay. to remember, too. Right. So this is how we, we make a good confession. But that priest should have uh, been living at that moment number 1863 of the Catechism, and I close with this. Venial sin weakens charity. It manifests a disordered affection to created goods. It does impede the soul's progress in the exercise of the virtues, okay? Uh, but 
it also predisposes us to commit mortal sin. And that's why venial sins, mm-hmm. we have to have look at them seriously. They help predispose us to commit mortal sin. Kind of like and a gra- kind of like a gateway drug, isn't it? Exactly. And that's number 1863. I didn't read the whole paragraph. It's, it's a little long yeah. there. But number 1863, read that on why venial sins are important to be attuned to, whether you take them to confession or were you, whether you make an act of contrition to be forgiven of them them, or whether you really lift them up during the penitential rite at Mass, venial sins are important. They predispose us to mortal sin. Number 1863 of the Catechism, 1863. Great question. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. Here now is Chris in Corning, New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today, sir? Uh, I was just listening to uh, Father Wade. Nice to talk to you. Uh, I had about a 40, like one caller, I had a 40-year absence from the church, and a couple months ago I came back and uh, went to confession, and like like her, it was just a, a, a giant weight lifted off my shoulders, um, and I can't, uh, I, I couldn't put it into words you know, how it is for me now. And, and, so, and do, you, do you care to share, Chris, how long of a lapse was it? How long of a lapse was it before you, uh, I, before, I, before I, you came back? It was about it was about forty years. Wow, beautiful! You know, yeah. Uh, right out of high school, I I joined the military, and after the military, I started going to non-denominational churches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I always felt that draw back. But uh, you know, I was always told you can't go to Catholic church. You know, that anti-Catholic sentiment. You know, and uh, about eight years ago, I started listening to EWTN, which was just I I couldn't even express in the words what that meant to me. Um, and it was just, uh, just feeling that pull. And you know, uh, I, I wish I could say everything was good now, but uh, my wife hates that I'm going back to Catholic Church. <laughs> so uh, it's caused a lot of contention, but uh, hopefully I'll get through that. Well, you know, ho- hopefully you two can work through that, and it sounds like she's probably very active in her church, which is a very good thing, uh, and that's her background. She never was Catholic. You were a Catholic from birth, probably, I presume. Correct me if I'm wrong. And you fell away and lapsed. But now you're back, and hopefully she'll support you in your faith of baptism, what's referred to as your faith of baptism, your one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. Um, there's some good books out there that you might want to invite her to read. She might invite you to read one of hers. That would be fine, too. Um, but it sounds like you're coming back strong. Strongly, and there's some good, good Catholic books out there about the, 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 how to evangelize Protestants of particular faiths and to share with them what some of the differences are and, and what some of the similarities are, like the Trinitarian doctrine mm. we hold in common with the Calvinists, okay? That we, we consider the, the Calvinist lines actual ecclesial communities. We don't hold that they have the, tr- the fullness of the truth. They don't have the Eucharist, for example. They don't see marriage as a sacrament, for example, but the Catholics do. And a, a good book that, that just is apologetic in that regard, it just shares the, 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 the differences and the similarities. And the difference is why we hold as Catholics what we hold. And of course, we have a great, great track record of defending our doctrines with sacred scripture, sacred tradition, okay, the writings of the Church Fathers, for example, and the magisterium, the teaching office of the Church, which itself is rooted or grounded in the apostolic college of, of the original apostles. So, you know, you want to work through this with your wife and ask her for support in your return to your faith of baptism as you give her support 
of her faith of childhood, uh, uh, her Calvinist faith. And then maybe at some point, the two of you can share with one another a retreat where each one of you go on a retreat, all the while re- a marriage retreat, all the while respecting each other's tenets of their faith. That's very, very important. And who knows? Um, maybe one day your, your wife will look at the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage you, Chris, to stay close to confession at least once a month. The culture is just too challenging today to not stay close to confession at least once a month. Uh, and, and so I encourage you to that. It'll keep you stronger in your faith and make your Holy Communions more efficacious as well, your, your Sunday reception of Holy Communion more efficacious. God bless you, Chris, and thank you for a great call from New York today. Appreciate that. Let's go quickly to Jose in El Paso. Jose, we just have about a minute. What's on your mind today? Uh, my question has to do with the New Jerusalem. Uh, me and some of my friends uh, talk about it, and uh, they think it's a physical Jerusalem, and I keep telling them, we're going to have spiritual bodies. Why would we need a physical city? We're because that, of gold. great, great question, Jose. And in the essence of time, let me answer this because we're almost out of time here. I want to answer your question. So, because we know it will be physical, the new heavens and the new earth, also referred to as the new kingdom, the new heavenly Jerusalem, after the second coming of Christ. Because at that time of the second coming of Christ, the souls are reunited with their bodies, and bodies exist in physical places in spaces physical places in spaces, and the the soul is reunited with the body. Now, how that all will come about remains a mystery. The book of Revelation doesn't have a lot of great clarity. In fact, it uses, uses a lot of mystical language. But what we do know is that it could be either a brand new, completely new heavens and new earth uh, as one, or it could be this current cosmos that we're living in, including earth itself, completely retransformed. This is one of the doctrines of the church that one can have theological speculation on, also called theological conjecture. You can have theological conjecture, you can conjecture about it, or theological speculation on it. You can speculate on it. The fact is, whether it's this current cosmos with earth and earth itself totally retransformed at the second coming of Christ as a new heavens and new earth, or whether this one's completely destroyed by fire, as the book of Revelation says, and the new one is created, is really irrelevant. What we do know is that we will be with the Blessed Trinity for all eternity, what's called eternal beatitude, or the beatific vision. Uh, And going back to the fire that will destroy this one, that fire can be purifying, which keeps this current earth and cosmos still in place, but, but purified by fire, kind of like in a purgative sense, although it's not purgatory that I'm talking about now. So those are the reasons why. Great question, Jose. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. And Father, if you could leave us with your blessing, please. I certainly will, Tom. From Westminster, Colorado, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our fantastic team here, I'm Tom Price. Thanks for joining us here on Open Line Tuesday. We'll see you next time. Do stay with us. God bless.